Hello, friends, and welcome to the CU Insight Network podcast. My name is Lauren Culp. I'm the publisher and CEO at CUinsight.com. And it's my job on our show today to have conversations with those thought leaders who support the credit union community. We're so excited to have our guest here today. We get to chat about some of the issues that are really affecting credit unions and, and have a discussion together on all of the best practices that exist so that we can all learn from one another and improve our credit unions. So our guest today, super excited to have him, is Dan Price, the president of 2020 Analytics. Dan, thanks so much for being here. Yeah, Lauren, thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Awesome. Well, let's jump right into it. I'd love to start with a little bit of background on you. We like to say most of us didn't really grow up thinking that someday we would get to work with credit unions. And so I'm curious what you wanted to be growing up. And then now, what was the inspiration to take the gig as the president at 2020 Analytics? Yeah, so I think my story is an interesting one where I might be the I don't know, the only kindergartner that when your teacher asked you what you want to be when you grow up, I said, I want to be an accountant. <laughs> I was raised by accountants. My dad and was an accountant. My you know brothers, uncles, cousins, everybody kind of was in this industry. You know, my dad has always been one of my heroes. And that brought me into this idea of going into the accounting field. So then growing up, I turned into this computer geek and, you know, made a website, started playing and decided I wanted to be a computer programmer. My mom, she said, okay, well, that's great. This whole computer thing. This was the mid late nineties when the internet was not as permeated through society as it is today. But she said, okay, that's great, but go be an accountant. I want you to make money and be stable. So went to school for accounting and I was still this computer nerd data geek type of guy where even growing up when I was in college, thinking about going out and partying while maintaining my figure. I was the type of guy that went out and downloaded all the data on all the beers, the calories, the alcohol by volume to try to figure out how I could go out and party the most while like ingesting the least amount of calories. So data has always been my thing. I started working with an audit firm here in Tampa, Florida, where we're located. And that audit firm combined with another firm got brought into the credit union industry to perform this data analytics on uh, two loan portfolios considering a merger. The CPA firms formed 2020 Analytics. I happened to work for one of these CPA firms when I decided I didn't want to do the audit thing anymore. Uh, one of the partners at the firm said, hey, we've got this gig at 2020 Analytics, told me a little bit about it, and I thought it would just be perfect for me. That was 2010, now 11 years later, running the company and I haven't looked back. Love working with credit unions. That is incredible. Like you said, you might be the only kindergartner I've ever heard of that, that wanted to be an accountant. So that, that's hilarious. And I'm sure a lot of our uh, listeners today would love to get access to that beer database that you <laughs> created. That's a sort of common question when I use that in presentations. <laughs> oh, man. Well, the next question that we always ask is, let's pretend you and I meet at a conference in person. Give us your elevator pitch. I know we've, we've gotten to connect in person a number of times, but for some of those folks who maybe haven't gotten a chance to run into you at a conference in person, give us your elevator pitch on what 2020 Analytics is and where you really add that value for credit unions. Yeah. So, I mean, first off, really looking forward to getting back in person and seeing folks, seeing you catching up. But in terms of elevator pitch, we're thinking about end-to-end loan portfolio analysis. So really anything you can do with the loan data from credit scores, collateral valuations, auto valuations. But we want to answer three questions for our credit unions. We want to answer 
do you have the ability and the capital adequacy to grow your loan portfolio? And that's what brings a lot of credit unions to us, pressure from the NCUA or from uh, other examiners, auditors, or even the board to better understand your concentration of risk. We help to answer that question, can we grow? Then we want to figure out where does it make the most sense to grow the loan portfolio? So where are the most profitable portfolio segments, FICO tiers, optimize that, and then even go as far as to help target members for those growth opportunities through marketing strategies, credit line increases, and things like that. So those three questions are really where we come in and figure out how credit unions can improve. That's incredible. Well, uh, we know concentration risk is really a key concern for credit unions that, that they're focusing on. I, I spent some time in commercial lending at a credit union. I know we talked about it a lot. So from your perspective, I'm curious, what should credit unions really know about managing their concentration risk? And how specifically does 2020 Analytics help in that area? Yeah. So in this respect, a lot of times it comes down to quantifying and understanding your loan portfolio, especially when you've got a growing loan portfolio, or you've got significant or scary economic concerns like what was presented by the COVID-19 pandemic, you know, you should, and the NCUA requires you to understand your concentrations of risk. That is, you know, not to quote, uh, but any group of exposures that have the ability to threaten your ability as a credit union to maintain your core operations, we're going to come in, we're going to evaluate the loan portfolio and First off, we're going to look at the risk of the portfolio as it stands today. Most credit unions are going to be in great shape. You know, fortunately, we weren't impacted as badly by the COVID-19 pandemic, at least just yet, in terms of defaults, delinquencies, charge-offs, all that nasty stuff. Um, but, you know, so today we're, we're recovering very quickly, it would seem. But we're going to go further and try to say that, you know, once we've quantified that risk that you have in today's economic environment, we're going to look at the economic areas or metropolitan areas that you're lending in. We're going to look at how volatile those areas are in terms of uh, things like unemployment, how volatile is unemployment, things like home values, how sharply did you peak and then trough in terms of what happened during the Great Recession and run simulations where those recession-like, pandemic-like even scenarios come to impact your credit union and say, do you have the ability to continue making loans uh, in those types of environments? We can layer in things like interest rate risk and other risks to take a, an enterprise-wide approach in how you're quantifying your risk. And we take that holistic view to be able to say, you know, it's any exposure or group of exposures. And generally with loans, the group of exposures are going to be greater than any individual exposure. But the NCUA, they often want you to quantify your concentration limits as a percentage of an individual portfolio segment, like to say, we won't grow our business loans. This is probably something you dealt with uh, when you were in commercial over, you know, 110% of our net worth or some threshold on individual portfolio segments. Is that something that you work with or how to deal with? Yeah, definitely. And, and looking at different industries that the business loans were made for, different types of loans. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to break it down by, you know, portfolio segment, risk profile, geographic area, all that type of thing. But then we're going to say, okay, you know, let's help you set these limits for your individual portfolio segments. And what the guidance says is that if you go over those thresholds, you have to do something. 
That's something maybe sell some loans. That's something maybe become tighter in your underwriting criteria. But what we're going to do is work with you to set those limits to where they can almost offset one another, where if you go a little bit above a concentration limit in one segment, but you're way below your limit in another segment, then you may not have created this concentration of risk. So that trigger really says, we're not going to stop lending. We're going to sell a bunch of loans. We're going to reevaluate our our enterprise-wide concentration position to see, are we able to continue taking on these strategic risks in order to serve our members? So to build flexibility into that concentration risk policy. Incredible. Well, it sounds like you're definitely a wealth of knowledge for, for the credit union space. So for any of those who want to reach out and chat more, we'll be linking all of your contact information in the post here. I want to talk a little bit, you mentioned you were doing some audit work as an accountant, and I know it's not always the most exciting topic for, for leadership teams to tackle, but can you talk to us about how crucial it is for credit unions to really have some solid internal audit processes in place too, to ensure that they're really remaining in compliance with all of the fair lending requirements that exist? Yeah, so it's certainly not the most fun, sexy, it's certainly a little bit of a cringy is the word that's coming to mind right now. Topic to talk about, but we need to make sure that, you know, we're making loan products available across the spectrum of borrowers where it comes to protected classes, ethnicities, and there's guidance out there that talks about how you can better understand your lending practices with some examples being, you know, if you're working with indirect auto dealers and they have flexibility in the pricing of loans where, you know, you're giving them a cut on the marked up interest rates on your indirect autos, if those dealers are doing or you know giving those uh, increased interest rates in unfair ways that impact protected borrowers, then you're going to be responsible for those decisions that the dealers are making. So coming in and looking at that loan portfolio, also building in information on loan applications to incorporate what there's some FFIC guidance uh, that talks about Bayesian surname improved geocoding, where you're looking at predicting ethnicity of a borrower because you generally on non-mortgages don't collect that information at origination. We can predict the ethnicity of that borrower using surname or the last name and the zip code in which that borrower lives. We then can predict gender using a simple first name, right? to some level of confidence and take a look at how you're pricing various loans as compared to others, how your concentration of loans within um, zip codes that are higher proportionate of non-white borrowers or individuals compared to the primary white zip codes and how those stack up against each other. We also have information that we've compiled from the publicly available Home Mortgage Disclosure Act where you can go in and compare your mortgage underwriting to other uh, financial institutions and credit unions across the nation to see what are your approval rates on various protected classes, ethnicities, and genders compared to the credit union or the bank down the street and identify instances where there might be something not above board, so to speak, something that might have been maybe not disparate treatment but disparately impacting your members, meaning you don't have to mean to do this for it to become a problem. If you're pricing, let's say, on criteria that don't really predict risk or charge-offs, so things like 
model year of the vehicle, some credit unions charge more if you're borrowing on an older vehicle. If protected classes are more likely to purchase older vehicles and when held constant for things like credit risk from a FICO score perspective, that doesn't influence charge-offs, then that's not something you can you should be doing. So it's disparately impacting a group of borrowers, even though you don't mean to do it, it's just something you've always done. And that will give you the ammunition and the opportunity to understand that not only can we treat people more fair, but we're giving members and potential members a product where the pricing more directly aligns with the risk that comes along with that pricing. So it kind of all flows into one another. You're providing a more fair product, but also a better product that's going to bring more ROI to your credit union and help you grow who you're able to serve. That's incredible. And I think as credit unions really wrestle with their identity and how that they should be serving the communities that they're in, I think really understanding the ways that they're supporting different different groups of people, whether they're protected classes or, you know, just the community in general is so critical. So love hearing that that you're able to offer some of that. I'm also curious from the sort of the data usage side, I know 2020 analytics really helps credit unions with optimizing some of that data. Can you talk about how data can really be used to evaluate profitability and risk-based pricing for loan portfolios? You know, you've kind of touched on that a little bit. Yeah, touched on it a little bit. And it really is, you know, this holistic approach where there are so many things that flow into each other. You want to make sure that you're pricing your loans fairly across genders and ethnicities, but you also want to make sure that you're pricing your loans fairly across just a variety of risk spectrums. So what generally drives people to 2020 analytics are those things that you have to do. The regulators tell you that you need to understand your risk. You're growing your portfolio and you feel like you need to understand your risk current expected credit loss, fair lending, those are things that drive credit unions to us because, look, we got to do it. But then once that data is available to us, there's so much more and so much more depth that we can bring to the credit unions lending team in terms of how they're pricing their loans. So the way that we do that, we think about kind of a top-down approach with that risk-based pricing where we're taking loan data And we're warehousing a record in our system for not only the current active loans, but any loan that has ever existed over the course of the relationship with the credit union. So we'll know whether or not it's paid off, it's charged off, or it still exists. We start and we look at those portfolio segments based on what the credit union can control when the member walks through the door, things like original credit score and you know model year, if that's something that you're pricing off of, really what are those criteria that you're pricing the portfolio off of? And then we say, okay, how significant are these portfolio segments and these loan products to your credit union? And how much money are you making off of them? We're looking at the at a very high level, what are the least and most profitable portfolio segments that you have? For those most profitable segments and credit tiers, we want to think about how can we make pricing maybe more affordable? You know, we want to, as a mission, as a credit union, offer affordable loan products to members. Sometimes that means recognizing that you're overpricing some folks. That could bring kind of the size of that portfolio segment bigger, supply and demand. As cost goes down, demand goes up, you're earning strong yield on more borrowers um, and provide a more fair product. And then for those less profitable portfolio segments, thinking about all of those other costs associated with the loans, things like, you know, origination costs, 
takes time to underwrite, to approve, to fund and service a loan. Sometimes you're paying a dealer some fee associated with making that loan or, you know, you're insuring the loan, things like that all cost the credit union money. So are you making enough within those portfolio segments to uh, substantiate the loan? Basically, you want to make so you, we're nonprofits. So we're not trying to make all the money in the world, but we need to grow our capital if we want to grow our assets. That's kind of the, the balance sheet objective. If you want to grow your assets by 20%, you need to grow your net worth by 20% to maintain that capital position. And you do that by generating income. So how much do you need to make? Are you making enough for those portfolio segments? And then one of the thing that we don't talk about enough that is just a wonderful tool that we offer to our credit unions is a peer analytics tool where you can go in and based on very, very granular data, compare yourself to other credit unions that we work with and say, how are we pricing our indirect autos between a 650 and 680 FICO score originated in the past 10 months or, you know, two years, whatever you choose compared to other credit unions, either in our geographic area or nationwide and really dive in deep to figure out how much money are we making on these loans? Is it enough to grow our capital? And if it's either too, you know, let's say too much, how can we make that rate more competitive? And if it's too little, are we pricing these things way below everybody else, but not making any money as we're making these loans? Kind of just really, truly better understand what's going on within the portfolio. That's incredible. Well, and I love hearing about, you know, the peer analysis tool. I think that's something that would be super valuable for a lot of credit unions too. And as we're kind of thinking about the big picture of where financial services are headed, obviously there have been a lot of disruptions over the past couple of years, past decade or so. And we're expecting even more disruptions in sort of the financial services marketplace as we go. And so 2020 Analytics being a really innovative company, I'm curious from your perspective, what trends are you seeing overall? And where is 2020 Analytics focused when it really comes to innovating to meet some of these challenges that we might see coming up in the future? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, we are primarily a post-origination shop. So we're coming in after the loans have been made, trying to help credit unions better understand and make better forward-looking decisions based on what's happened within the portfolio. So over the past you know, 24 months or so, we our focus has been developing our tools for current expected credit loss, which now will you know begin to be adopted here over 2022 and really at the very end of 2022, January 1st, 2023, technically. And that's been a, a primary focus of our development efforts thus far, as well as building and understanding all of those what could go wrong type scenarios as we dealt with the pandemic, fortunately hasn't been as bad as we expected. Now kind of, you know, as we move into the future, the things that 2020 Analytics is thinking about, we're thinking about integrating all of these data sets kind of into a way that uh, credit unions can understand their entire operation from, you know, loans, deposits, other, you know, pieces of the data infrastructure, but then trending, thinking about things like climate change. So we've worked with some of our credit unions to help them understand if they have any risk related to as, you know, water levels rise, are they exposed to property that may be destroyed as a result of climate change, not over the next one or two years, but over the next 10, 20, 30 years. Thinking about things like how the automobile 
market may be disrupted again, not one to two years from now, but five to 10 years from now where we have autonomous vehicles and potentially fleets where, you know, we don't own cars anymore. We have a subscription that, uh, you know, a car comes and picks us up, how that's going to overall impact the lending market. So those are things that we're thinking about right now in the shorter term, thinking about expected credit losses and how we can help credit unions continue to streamline those processes. That's incredible. Well, and such good points in terms of, you know, climate change and the ways that consumers intend to or will be interacting with their vehicles in the future. Really interesting stuff. I'm curious to, let's say that there was one thing that you think credit unions need to do better to stay relevant in this sort of fast changing financial services marketplace. What would that one thing be? Oh, it's still data. I mean, it was data 10 years ago when we were founded. It's data today. And it's been more generally accepted that you're going to use your data every day in your decision-making process, but it's still not the case for lots of credit unions, even those larger ones over a billion in assets. So, I mean, it's still taking the data and really just not being complacent in what you're doing, continuing to think about how are our consumers' needs changing because they're changing faster than they've ever changed before. How do we meet those needs and really understand how we can best convenience our borrowers. I mean, the credit line increase program that we offer is a very proactive solution. And that's something where people are lazy, myself included. They're not going to ask for a credit line increase on their credit card. They're going to just go get a new stinking credit card. So, you know, understanding what your borrowers need, I think is very, very important. And you can do that using data. That's incredible. Well, such a good point too. You know, ease of use is so critical, but even predictability and thinking about what people might want as well. As we wrap up the show, I we always like to have some fun with rapid fire questions to let our listeners get to know you a little bit better. And so just like on the CO Insight Experience podcast or other podcasts, the questions on the CO Insight Network podcast are rapid for this section, but your answers don't have to be rapid. So we'll dive okay. right in here. What is a recent purchase you didn't know you needed that has become something that you cannot live without? Yeah, this one's a little bit disappointing. It's gonna, I'm gonna throw out my, my shoulder brace here. I had shoulder surgery two weeks ago. I've got it for another two and a half weeks. So this is something that I can't live without. And my wife, I didn't buy her, of course, but <laughs> I probably need to get her something for taking care of me during this time where I'm gonna get one on. No kidding. Well, we wish you a quick recovery on that. Uh, the brace definitely looks like it would be helpful. You said earlier it was her dominant arm. So can't imagine all the, all the impacts there. Lots of fun. Oh, man. Well, when you hear the word success, who is the first person that comes to mind and why? Oh, to me, happiness is everything. Is my 15-year-old son. You know, he isn't always the best at everything. Sometimes he is, but he always goes for what he wants. He stays happy. He, you know, stays positive. He keeps us positive. And I mean, he is, to me, my picture of success. I'm so proud of him. I've got two others that I'm proud of, too, but they're younger. And uh, my 15-year-old is just doing great. That's incredible. All right. A random question. What are you listening to on Spotify? Probably something hip hop. I like to let Spotify cultivate my playlist. So I just click something and then they just keep, you know, the daily playlists. I like new stuff. So whatever they tell me, I like that data, right? I just assume Spotify understands my needs and they usually do. That's incredible. I am the same way. I'm not really spending much time building playlists. I just pick a radio station or pick something and let it figure uh-huh. out what I want. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. All right. Any books that you have gifted or that you just think everybody should read? 
Honestly, no. So I'm not a big reader. I am more of a researcher and I am a big proponent of whatever you're passionate about. Just start Googling it, get involved, web forums, any sort of self-education. Like, you know, if you're not a fiction reader or anything like that, just chase your passion and research and learn about how your passion, how you can get more involved with your passion and just stay involved with it. That's incredible. It's such a good point too. I think there's a lot that we can learn even beyond just a book form, but there's you know white papers and tons of research out there, our own data. (laughs) So let's say the calendar is empty. What do you do to unwind outside of work? And understanding this question might be a little different for the next couple of weeks while you're recovering, but on a normal day, what do you do to unwind? On a normal day, I'm in the pool. So we're in sunny Florida. We've got a TV out back. We just remodeled the pool. My kids sit in the pool, we swim, and then we sit in the pool and watch movies from the pool most Saturdays and Sundays. So, you know, just sit in the sun, hang with family. That sounds incredible. Well, we will link to everything we talked about today in the show notes. We'll get some contact information for all of our listeners who might want to get in touch with you and your team. But my last question for you today is any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners or final asks that you have of the audience today? No specifics. I mean, just check out 2020 analytics. I would say that if there are things that you don't understand within your portfolio that you think may be able to be better understood with your data, you know, reach out to us or dive in, you know, one way or another, you got to take that first step or that fifth step wherever you are in your data journey and just keep moving forward one step at a time. Eventually you'll get closer and closer to where you want to be. Amazing. Well, what a perfect way for us to wrap up the show today. Thanks again, Dan, for joining us on the show. Stay well, quick recovery. And thanks to all of our listeners today for tuning into the See You Insight Network podcast. We will talk to you again next time. 